to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by, oh, can you believe it, Meredith. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it is actually going pretty well. I uh, am amazed that in my advanced age, I've only just figured out that when I get a really good night's sleep that uh, involves like just going to bed, I feel great in the morning. Yeah, I feel like um, going to bed is a critical part of getting sleep. Yeah, well, it's also the going to bed versus passing out because you've been oh, out yeah. or the sort of finally dozing off because your brain, it refuses to stop like agonizing over whatever it is that you are worried you're screwing up. Like, you know, the usual. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I have... I think I haven't like drank in like a month and I'm like, man, I feel incredible all the time and I am thriving and getting so much shit done. And it's like, why don't I just do this all the time? But then you forget that like drinking is fun. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things like, oh, right. This is poison. Yes. But also 100%. sometimes it tastes good. Listen, sometimes yeah. I want to poison myself and I'm allowed to as a grown ass woman. And that's my constitutional right. Yeah. But it is very funny. And now I'm, you know... Obviously, it's important for people to do things that are healthy for them. And if, if if anyone has an unhealthy relationship with substances, sure, don't have a relationship with them and Absolutely. get the support you need. Yeah, uh, but yes, it is it is strange that now I'm like, oh god, the cost benefit trade off here is just so deeply not in my favor. <laughs> sure, yeah, and but another issue is whenever I do do this where I just like kind of reset, you know, mm -hmm. I, you, you can't talk about it with anyone because nobody wants to hear about it. It's like Absolutely. training to run a marathon, you know? Yeah. Oh God, that's a really good way to put it. And, you know, I think depending on, you know, and, and you know, you live in New York, I live in freaking Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So there is a certain element of like, you are truly stepping away from a dominant culture by deciding Absolutely. you're like trying, you're going to be like healthy. Now, um, having said all this, mm, we will be drinking when you visit. Oh, but... yes, we will. <laughs> that is, uh, yes. When I come, we will be having big old fun times yes. and there will be margaritas. And that's sort uh, of my rule. Yeah. Like if it's, if it's like an event, like anytime I have with my parents, uh, somebody's birthday, if I have a friend visiting, like you'll be visiting soon. I'm like, yeah, then I drink. But if it's just like, I don't know, I've been seeing somebody for a while and we're going out again or like hanging with friends, but it's not a big event. I'm like, uh, that's when I'm sort of like, do I need to be drinking right now? You know? Yeah. It just sort of like stops being fun. Um, and then, but you know, this is such as life. But like I said, you know, that has been meant that I'm in a great mood this morning and great. feeling Love wonderful it. about it. You sound bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and I'm so glad because we got a lot to talk about. Um, before so we much. get into <laughs> recommendations or anything like that, I want to do actually read some Patreon <laughs> recommendations and questions because uh, just to remind everybody, you won't hear any commercials on this episode of Light Trees and News or any episode of Light Trees and News because I'm a 100% listener-supported show. What does that mean? Well, if you go to the website, lighttreason.news, or my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, it's just my name. It's so easy to remember. 
for as little as $5 a, a month, you get to skip the line, send questions, recommendations, and I'll read it on the dang show. So first one is from Stance. Great name. What's up, Allison? Not much. How are you doing? Howdy from the unseated traditional Musquam, Squamish, and oh, why would you have me pronounce these territory names first thing in Vancouver? Okay, sorry, I'm not even going to attempt. Just wanted to share some local info to give more context on the new drug decriminalization laws here in British Columbia. Great. Thank you so much. The groups to thank for this new legislation are Dolph, <laughs> Drug Users, Liberation Front, and Vandu, Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, who provide drug testing uh, naloxazone, uh, safe supply, etc., and have been calling for de- decriminalization for years. 722 people have died from overdoses in British Columbia from January through April of this year alone, mostly due to fentanyl and the poison drug supply. Pretty fucked up. That 2.5 grams is the limit you can carry now when most users reported regularly carrying more than that, meaning they would still be criminalized. But nevertheless, any decriminalization is good decriminalization. Sorry, this got so long. It's okay, Stance. Um, remember to test your drugs and stay safe. Great. Thank you. We we love a local perspective. Absolutely. And then, so this is the one that I was sort of like, uh, like I texted you about it where I was like, I don't want to talk about this, but maybe we have to talk about it. Because I am like, if somebody who listens to Light Trees and News is writing me about this, maybe we got to talk about it. So Mark wrote in just basically like WTF uh, about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. What's going on? I'm seeing a lot of like noise about Amber Heard and I just don't know what to believe basically. And I was like, Oh, if somebody who listens to this show, which I like to think is like at, at the most left of center, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are very lefty who, who listen to the show and I'm like, uh Oh, if someone who listens to my show is having confusion about this, maybe we need to talk about it. I didn't talk about it for a long time because um, it, it, it's a horrible story and uh, it's just so toxic. And also I'm like, I I like, I don't want to be talking about the minutia of the trial or anything like that, but I guess we can talk about it in just very broad terms. What is, I was going to say what's confusing to me, but I understand it's misogyny and this is why people refuse to be nuanced about it. My feeling about what happened and the trial is obviously like misogyny and, and sexism and bitches be lying, that sort of framing of like what happened. But what I don't understand is like, why can't we just say this was a horrible, toxic relationship in which there was a lot of abuse and it seems like they abused each other and they're both sort of at fault at different parts in different ways. And I don't understand why it has to be like all her fault or all his fault, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of it is, you know, this, the, it gets, you know, before getting into any of the nuances, like, ultimately, the trial wasn't even about whether or not it was all his fault or all her fault. It was right. about this very specific thing that was... She wrote an op-ed. Well, she... some The ACLU ghost wrote an op-ed. <laughs> right. So the reason he sued her uh, was because they went through, like, the whole... 
uh, trial. And then she had written uh, an op-ed in which she said abuse. There weren't even like specific allegations. And she didn't name him. No. But then, uh, so he'd sues for defamation. Right. So that issue was nothing related to whether or not the people on the jury actually thought anything had happened. Right. And in um, fact, it's already been established that there he did abuse her. Like yeah. that is that's not up for dispute. It happened. Um, and then obviously his fans are always like, but she like hurt his finger and he had photos of it. And it's like no one is disputing that there were instances of abuse on both sides. But what's not up for dispute, like his hardcore fans are like she lied about everything. There was no abuse. And it's like, no, no, no that's that's not up for dispute. He abused her. Right. And uh, members of, you know mostly men on the jury. And one of them recently spoke out to say that, you know, she would be crying for one second on the stand and then calmly speaking the next one. So they didn't believe that her tears were real. <laughs> and like, I'm so, I just don't think, and they weren't sequestered. So all of the content that was going out onto YouTube, into memes, into TikTok, people had access to it. And if you right. were on the internet at all during the trial, you saw all of these, all of this content that was specifically designed to paint Amber Heard as a, as a lying villainess. Yeah. And, and like, there was certainly a lot of bots, but there's also like, he has so many fans. And I think what people forget is like, he's one of the most famous actors in the world. And he's been that famous for decades. And yeah. there are like, hardcore i know it seems weird now because especially if you're a younger person you're like the old guy from pirates of the caribbean but it's like he is so beloved by like mm -hmm. millions and millions of people so there was a i mean unprecedented amount of hatred directed at amber heard and my thing is like look i don't know amber heard i i like i don't know you know, if she's a good person, um, maybe her testimony did come across as very like artificial or manipulative. But my whole thing is like, that was not the point of this trial, mm -hmm. this defamation trial. Like the, the point of it was, and what's so scary about it is now because he was successful and he successfully sued her for $10 million. And this sets this really dangerous precedent where, like, now we're hearing rumblings about, like, Brad Pitt is considering going after Angelina Jolie. And now we have this precedent of, like, pissed off ex-husbands who are like, oh, I can shut the bitch up now. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the defamation thing, like, yes, I think there's some valid uh, pushback against the idea that this will empower all men to use defamation suits to go after women for speaking out about things. But uh, because I, I think that it's true, you have you, people who have a lot of money can do this sort of thing. It's not, right, an, right. it's not something that happens a lot in, in your everyday divorce case, your everyday split. Um, but things are already deeply biased against abuse victims, you know, taking like in, in custody battles, there are many, many States where, um, women in particular who have, who allege and have reported domestic abuse are forced to share custody with their, with the fathers of their children, because mm -hmm. the judges believe that that's just what should happen. Even if they have been, there is a record of abuse. Right. Um, and you know, we don't have very much language to talk about actual abuse survivors who are male. 
mm-hmm. because it's still there does still have a lot of stigma. And anyone who wants to argue that Johnny Depp getting a $10 million judgment over this uh, is going to actually help male survivors <laughs> is being a little ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The point of this is we have very little, like, ultimately, it's a shit show. It was tur- like people's trauma, famous people's legitimate fucked up traumas were turned into entertainment and exploited for financial gain by a lot of people. Uh, and ulti- like when it comes down to it, we don't have the vocabulary to discuss in any functional way how to deal with intimate partner violence in a way that is genuinely like transformative and healing. (laughs) And because we don't have the vocabulary, it's impossible to have nuanced coverage. So like my whole thing is like, it doesn't matter if you like Amber Heard. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if you like Johnny Depp. Like from what I have heard from people who work with Johnny Depp, he is a lovely person and he treats his friends really well. That does not mean he can't be incredibly toxic in a relationship. And like ditto for Amber Heard. Like, I don't care if she's this like horrible, toxic person. Bad things can happen to horrible, toxic people (laughs) all the time. Right. Like, it just seems like they were in this nightmare of a relationship. Like you talk to anybody who was on working on set with him during this. Like, it sounds like he, he would be eight hours late for shoots because he and Amber were just going at it, screaming at each other and doing God knows what else. Like, it just seemed like a nightmare. So I don't understand why. And by the way, anytime I say I don't understand, I understand that it is misogyny. But like the fact that so many people seem incapable of just saying this was a horrible relationship. I'm sure they both did fucked up shit. But her talking about abuse shouldn't result in her being charged $10 million. Right. She had the right to talk about an abusive relationship she was in because she was in an abusive relationship. She did not name him. She did not name specific things. Did everybody know that she was talking about Johnny Depp? Yes. But women who have survived abuse should be able to talk about it. Does If he wanted to write an op-ed about her abusing him, I would fully support that as well. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what it, Mark, to answer your question, that's how I feel about it. And the, the reason I wasn't doing a play-by-play about the trial is what Meredith was just saying. Like, it was horrible and exploitive. And, like, I, I, it felt like it was impossible to talk about it in, like, a calm, nuanced way while it was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, if you find yourself being confused, much more important than figuring out what was going on in the trial, um, do some reading about work that's being done to support families and survivors of, of domestic and intimate partner violence, like in your community and just like do some stuff to help make some people's lives better that are around you instead of like, fucking around with some parasocial nonsense. And I know that sounds a ridiculous thing. No, it's a little ridiculous and like didactic to be like, do this. But um, I think we would be better off if we spent time getting to like trying to get, trying to help people who have been going through it. You mean instead of like weirdly obsessing (laughs) over one celebrity couple? Yeah, I think that would, if you actually care about this, 
And by the way, Mark, this isn't aimed at you. This is aimed at like all of Johnny Depp's weird little sicko fans on Twitter. If what actually concerns you is domestic violence against men, great. Like go do some actual work that will help abused men. I don't think that's what you actually care about. I think what you actually care about is you have a weird parasocial relationship with Johnny Depp and some of you, a large percentage of you, hate women and don't believe them when they make accusations about domestic violence and rape. I think your, your, your ref, your reflex in that moment is to be like, she's lying. She's mm-hmm. lying because I like this actor. And it's like, you can like this actor and like his work and, and think that like, he's a good friend. Cause Paul Bettany would agree with you <laughs> apparently. Um, And also he can be like a toxic monster in a relationship. Both things can be true at the same time. And I say that as someone who like, the reason I know that is I too have been friends with men who are great friends. And then you find out something about them and you're like, holy shit. And it, it changes your whole perspective about them. But you either come to terms with that and think, oh, both things can be true. I can be good friends with this person and they can be very kind to me. And also they did a very, very bad thing. Or you go into full denial mode, which is like, girl, I guess, I guess you could do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think like, but also it, it sucks because I think a lot of people who want to, who think about these issues critically and care did find themselves in positions where they're like, what the hell is going on? I don't understand it because there was so much coverage and the PR machine was so effective in obscuring what was going on when it came to the fandom. So, uh, you, you know, definitely not alone in being, in wondering what on God's name was happening. Yeah. And also Mark, I'm sure you're not the only person who is like, I don't know how to feel about this. So I'm glad you wrote in asking about it, even though I like truly, I texted Meredith and I was like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this. I'm glad we did. Let's move on. Let's never talk about it again. Um, so let's get into recommendations. I, first and foremost, because it's pride month and I was really afraid of this getting bumped because we have so much other shit we need to talk about, but I wanted to make sure (laughs) while it was still June (laughs) that I got to recommend this. Um, Fire Island is great. I had such a wonderful time watching it. It is currently on Hulu. Yeah, it's Hulu. Um, and starring, uh, the wonderful Joel Kim Booster, Bowen Yang, Matt Rogers. Um, it's so funny and so charming. And I just had the best time watching it. And I say this as someone who does not like romantic comedies. It, uh, charmed the dang pants off of me. So highly recommend Fire Island. Uh, I mean, why, how could you not? want to spend a little time just enjoying fluffy rom-com gay fluffy is a great word yeah it's very fluffy it's it's very uh sweet and doesn't pass the bechtel test oh truly oh that was an (laughs) all-time if if you're not as catastrophically online listeners as we are uh a uh writer a woman writer was angry and gave Fire Island an F minus because it did not pass the Bechdel test and she didn't understand why uh, (laughs) there had to be a movie about cute Asian gay boys and like completely ignore women. Her words. It's literally, yes, I do believe that was what she said. Uh, And it was, 
it was such a bad take that Alison Bechdel herself hopped on Twitter <laughs> to create an accept, like to create a special circumstance to say, so good. If you have, what was it? If you have, uh, if you have two gay men talking about a Mary Oliver poem. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then Bowen posted it on Instagram where he's like, okay, if Alison Bechdel says we pass the Bechdel test, we pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, it was so great. And like I had jokingly said that some feminist was going to have that hot take where it's like, yeah, technically this film does not pass the Bechdel test. That's not the fucking point of this film. Not everything has to center white feminists. Um, but yeah, it, it was so funny and uh yeah i'm glad and i should say too she uh you know she posted an apology after that which she was like oh my god yeah i'm a buzzkill i'm awful i'm sorry um <laughs> which i was like good on you if somebody apologizes and it's sincere i'm like you gotta stop dragging them at that point but still it was it was very funny yeah that did i mean it just made me laugh because sometimes you're like oh god this is yeah I, and it just seems sort of ridiculous like that's it's the it's fire island i mean it's a it's a gay rom-com about the gay like gay party mecca island it's not about <laughs> you and that's and that's the point that's what's so great about it it's not about yeah like let's be honest when we're talking about the bechdel test usually we're talking about like two cis white women talking to each other like that's the the image in the head of like now you've passed the bechdel test and it's like okay this film technically doesn't pass it, but that's the point. It's it's about a different community that doesn't center us, and that's great. That's why we celebrate it, especially during Pride Month. So do check out Fire Island. But the, the things I wanted to get to before we run out of time was... <laughs> well, let me quickly... Because I, I want to spend a lot of time talking about uh, the the two films that you and I were recently talking about, Meredith. But quickly, uh, I also highly recommend uh, Ms. Marvel, which is on Disney Plus right now. Another uh, great instance of a, a story and a, a viewpoint that we usually don't get to hear from, um, you know, the Muslim community in the United States. So really fun show, like really leans into like the fun, bright, silly aspects of, um, comic books, which you think would sort of be like a no shit default delivery from Marvel. But so often they like sort of, um, treat the material with a lot of gravitas, which I get, but it can get overly serious and they just sort of like suck the fun out of it sometimes. And Ms. Marvel is just like, so light and so fun and funny. And um, yeah, I like usually, you know, Disney and uh, Marvel's casting is like spot on. So I knew it was going to be really good, but I'm still like consistently amazed. Like anytime I see another one of their shows and I'm like, oh shit, like not only did they nail it, but like Iman uh, Vellani mm -hmm. is incredible as Kamala and I was like I knew she was going to be charming but it's still like like I knew Tom Holland was going to be charming and then you see him as Spider-Man and you're like oh <laughs> like he's the most charming man alive and then like same with her you know I like I knew they were going to get Kamala Khan right but then I saw Amon and I was like oh damn like she's a star and also brilliantly she's not on Twitter uh, so smart <laughs> so smart and she's like you see her interviewed by like Trevor Noah and it's like this is the most charming 
young woman alive. And I hope she just goes on to do a million things because I want to see her in a million things. Um, all right. So having recommended Fire Island and Ms. Marvel, let's talk about the innocence. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess we've, I mean, this one is on me because I had heard about it, wanted to see it. But See, I feel like this film rocked you in like a negative way and I loved it. Oh, no, I loved it. I was just deeply upset because my new policy of once I do enough research to see that there are, you know, I, I make these lists of movies that are coming out on Neon, IFC Midnight, A24, like a couple of other studios uh, that um, when they tend to do horror movies, I want to see them. But that also means that then I try not to read much about them because I want to be surprised so right. I knew that this was going to be fucked up, but I wasn't prepared for, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. And I think the reason we weren't prepared, and by the way, I'll just give a blanket spoiler warning for this because there are aspects of the plot that I think are spoilery and wouldn't like necessarily ruin the film for you, but definitely add to like the mystery and the vibe of the film. So if you saw like teasers for the innocence or, you know, you want to check it out without uh, a spoiling stuff for you, skip ahead to the music cue. But I think part of the reason that it did like surprise us is usually in uh, like, say this film was made in America. <laughs> yeah. It, they definitely would have softened aspects of it because the entire cast for the most part is comprised of children. Yeah. And uh, it's about a group of children who meet each other in like this sort of like housing project, but it's a Nordic housing project. So it's like very nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like suburban Oslo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and they meet each other and it turns out that they have like mysterious powers and they're like kind of like mutants. Um, and, you know, it that's part of the fun of like discovering what their powers are and like, you know, uh, how they work. You know, it's sort of like a mystery. Um, and I think it like if it had been made in America, <laughs> they definitely would have like, say, not had children brutally die in it. Uh, right. Yep. And this film has children, multiple children, uh, brutally die. And when like the moment like I knew they weren't playing was uh there's a cat <laughs> in this film that is killed in a horrible way right. by uh the, the who ultimately turns out to be the villain, which is this little boy who's excellent. And I'm so afraid of pronouncing anybody's name in this cast. Um, but Sam Ashruff is Ben. And he's wonderful. He's so scary. So scary. He's supposed to, he's like nine years old. He's like he's terrifying. He, there's a, a, God, I just like, don't even know where to start with this. But anyway, so the, the first moment that we're, we sort of learned that he is going to be like the super villain of this story is he brutally kills a cat. And that's when I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah. uh, this is like, they're not playing. And then, uh, yeah, obviously, like, there, there's, like, fucked up shit that happens to kids in this film that makes anything Stephen King did to little kids look like, you know, nothing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, one thing I did really appreciate it about it, and I think why, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm, like, I'm really want it to have more of an audience, is that it's not wrong about the 
the fundamental truth that little kids can be incredibly brutal. Like that's what I loved about it. Like in the beginning, just, their brains just don't. They're not. They don't think in terms of consequences or in terms of others. And so, like, no, they have like, to learn. They have to learn through trial and error and through yes. actual explicit instruction from other people. This is stuff that you don't do. But if they get away with it or feel like they can't talk about it, these things can escalate far beyond where you would expect it. And I thought that that was. I mean, it's literally in the first scene. The, there's two sisters. Um, Ida, who's played by whose name I actress's name. She's the daughter of the actress who plays her mother. Should we have fun with this and have me try to pronounce these names? So Ida is played by Raquel Flotum. Flotum. I think, you know what? Just go with it. Okay. And Anna is Alva Romstad. Yes. So uh, she has an older, slightly older sister who's severely autistic, nonverbal. And they're sitting in the back of their like they're in the back of the car driving to their new apartment and she just starts pinching her sister because she like thinks that she doesn't feel anything right since she can't express displeasure right and i like oh that is so dark and extremely real children extremely would totally real. do that <laughs> but that's what i loved about it because like there are several moments in this film where like you know Ida Ida is a piece of shit and I'm mad at her but also she's a little kid and it's like this is how little kids explore the world and learn boundaries and like of course her perspective of the world would lead her to believe if you're not verbalizing you must not feel pain and then the moment she finds out her sister can feel pain you can see it like connect in her head where Mm -hmm. she's like oh my god I've been torturing my sister and like a to get that emotion across like I mean how young is this actress I mean her care she's got to be like 10 at the most now at the most yeah and like for her to convey that thought and those feelings I was like this is amazing yeah um and one thing that I thought was and this is another reason why I really loved it um there are elements of the film that reminded me a lot of uh, Chronicle, the deeply mediocre yes. movie written by Max Landis, global-level piece of shit. <laughs> disagree that it's mediocre. He's a piece of shit. I agree with that. But disagree, I loved Chronicle. Oh, I mean, I loved it, but I felt like I still can't overlook the flaws, like how <laughs> Michael B. Jordan should have actually just been given the role of the cousin, even if they had to rewrite it as not his cousin, because right, like, right. it was ridiculous that he was in it. But it was it's the teenagers kid with a, a rough go of it. Like yeah. there are so many interesting, there are so many parallels, but this just took everything and actually developed. I thought it just developed the themes and the, the ideas so much more. And in a richer way, it was less of an action movie. Um, and I yes. know you're like husband Dane DeHaan is in Chronicle, <laughs> but like <laughs> not an insignificant part of the reason I love Chronicle. Yeah, that was like the moment I was like, do I love Dane DeHaan? And I, am I deeply in love with Dane DeHaan? And I was like, yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I will say like the other thing that really, uh, you know, this a skill vote, the director um, is. Has made some really intense movies this is a guy who i've his movie thelma is fantastic uh as well i think it's on most streaming platforms but this guy 
does not fuck around. I texted yeah. at the at some point during the movie. Uh, this guy, like Ari Aster, wishes he wishes could, yeah. like, only wishes you were like he makes him look like a fucking pussy. <laughs> I, yeah, verbatim. You could quote me. You can quote me that. How do you how do you pronounce his name? Eskel Vote. Eskel Vote. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Eskel Vote. Yeah. You quote me. Makes Ari Aster look like a pussy. Um, yeah. Like th- the ending of this film is absolutely brutal, um, and. Uh, you know, like, I know we just gave a bunch of spoilers, but I don't want to say exactly what happens, but I felt like there were just potentially so many moments where, like, is it problematic to have um, someone who isn't on the spectrum play a character who is on the spectrum? Like, we can have those debates and stuff, but I thought, in my opinion, it was handled in a really sensitive thoughtful way and Anna the character who uh is autistic in the film is a well-rounded character which I think is pretty amazing considering she's nonverbal, and mm-hmm. we we don't get direct access to her thoughts the only time we get access to her thoughts is through uh Aisha who her superpower is empathy which I love I love when material explores empathy as a superpower. It's the reason I love Sense8. Mm-hmm. Um, but her power is that she she can tap into Anna's mind and they can share thoughts. Um, and so we're able to hear her thoughts through this other character. But I just thought it was such an achievement because like, I really, really, really cared for Anna by the end yeah, of the film. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think top to bottom, it was... <laughs> This is going to sound, this is like a ridiculous thing that some cliched like hack uh, critic would say, but this, this movie had a level of difficulty that virtually everyone would fail at actually meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like the fact that it actually folds together felt like very exciting. Yeah, so big recommend from me for The Innocents and from Meredith as well, it sounds like. I don't want to speak yeah. for you, but it sounds like we both loved it. And then finally in the recommendation uh, section of the show, I wanted to talk about Mad God, which, um, where's Mad God at right now? Uh, it's on Shutter. It's on Shutter, right, yeah. Um, man, this is another film Meredith uh, turned me on to. <laughs> And you were basically like, I saw a crazy film that you need to see uh, when it is available. And um, I I knew nothing about this film. So like I was I am debing it while I was watching it just because I was like, what the fuck is like the backstory of this? Where did it come from? It's written and directed by this guy, Phil Tippett, who I like absolutely lost my mind when I saw his IMDb credits. He's the guy who did the special effects for Jurassic Park. Yep. So this is like a visual uh, mastermind, right? Like uh, somebody who is known for like just creating spectacular sets and visual effects. And yeah. he a has man been... credits like are insane. Insane. Like, he's insane. truly worked on like everything. Yeah. By the way, Jurassic Park is like, yeah, like the, <laughs> just the surface. But I saw that and I was like, oh my God. Um, and he has been working on Mad God for 30 years. 30 years, mm-hmm. everybody. 30 years. One more time, 30 years. So 
when you watch it and I, I texted Meredith this, I was 15 minutes into the film and I was like, I have no idea what's happening. So like, if you're, if you're thinking you're going to get a coherent plot or anything like that, like just know that it is spectacular, but you do have to go in with the mentality that it's just vibes. Yeah, it is. It is all stop motion vibes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did I, did I forget to mention it's all stop motion? It's not all stop motion. There is some like live actors and stuff in it, but, uh, I would say the vast majority of it is stop motion and it is visually spectacular. You will have absolutely no idea what's happening at any point. That's, that's not the the point of the film. It is just to, uh, you know, immerse yourself in this weird fucked up world, uh, and just let it be like a visual treat feast for your eyes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the, you used the word immerse, which is the only one that I could ever think of because it does suck you in and then just, you are completely surrounded by the insanity. It's, com- it's overwhelming, you know, to, um, and so, I saw it at the Wisconsin Film Festival a couple months ago. Um, there were barely anybody there. And it's just sitting there thinking like this, if I saw this, had seen this when I was 15 years old and had just like gotten really, really into Twin Peaks and David Lynch, like oh my God. I would have died. Like my whole brain would have melted how into like you, one weird puzzle. <laughs> how did you hear about it? Because I heard about it from you. Uh, I was just looking at the, um, I was looking through the program of what movies were going to be playing and the listing, like the little capsule description of it said, you know, a passion project from the special effects and visual effects wizard from blah, 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 tells a (laughs) post-apocalyptic horror Fantasia or some, I don't know, whatever weird way to describe it. And I like got... And, you know, I hadn't even finished reading the 50 word blurb before I was like, tickets, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. Because I was like there, you know, when you go to a festival, it's just like sometimes the the options are overwhelming. So I'm like, what jumped out? But yeah, like, of course, the little blurb, like the way they're marketing it is um, uh, comes a nightmare 30 years in the making, which I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I think like good on Shutter for picking it up. I think it's going to be great for getting it more exposure. It is weird. It's, it's not long. It's less than 90 minutes. It is one of those things that's pretty, like it is pretty specialized, but it has, um, you know, Oh, and also like anytime somebody wants to say, use the word stop motion, I'll see it because I have a longtime obsession with the Czech animator, Jan Schmankmeyer, who's used Mm. stop motion for his entire 50 year career. The brothers Quay, um, who were these like artists, weirdos who, whose style was, they're basically doing tool videos before tool videos happened. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I'm so fascinated by that shit because like, especially stop motion, it takes so goddamn long. Oh yeah. That, like I, anything, anytime I hear like the idea of someone spending 30 years on a film and by the way, it made $8,500 domestically at the box office. So like, You've made a film that failed, right? Financially, financially failed. But it's a masterpiece. Like, that shit fascinates me. Because, like, what keeps you going for 30 years on something? One project. And it's like, oh, you're just completely fucking obsessed. 
Well, and also, it's not as if he's not doing jobs that have given him, like, the financial resources to keep going. It's his passion project. It's like how Francis Ford Coppola is still trying to make this one movie that he's finally pulling things together to do that he's been trying to make for, like, 40 years. You know? Sometimes you just, uh, you know, say, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And and by the way, like sometimes when you say 30 years, it's like you start to pursue something. And then like, as you said, you get another project. So you put it away for a little bit and then you go back to it. So it's not like 30 years on one thing. I just think it's so cool and should be celebrated when someone sees a project through that took that long. And then like, yeah, it didn't make a lot of money, but fucking look at it. It's so cool. And you've never seen anything like it before. I think that we're just still in a moment where this is the sort of thing that the industry and the the economy of film just makes it almost impossible for yes. it to exist and find an audience without ending up on a streaming platform. That is true. Or, uh, or getting, you know, like how in where like, where would it play that it would have enough time to actually develop an audience? Because, like, see, as you said, how do you explain it to someone? Yeah, I think this this is like a, a special case because it is like almost incoherent the plot and it is just visually spectacular but like I really feel and I'm very excited by this even as someone who is a huge Marvel fan I feel like people are so hungry for non-IP right now Mm -hmm. and we see that with everything everywhere all at once and the success that film has had that I do think the Marvel bubble is bursting and we're gonna see like a ton of cool shit as a result of that. And I, I'm very excited about that because I do feel like even hardcore Marvel people at this point are like, yeah, but is this all I'm going to see? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's exciting. It is. It is nice. It makes me really happy to see some of these things, you know, kind of coming along. But, you know, how much, how many hours out of every week do we, you and I end up talking around or about the general topic of like, IP versus like, mid-range versus micro-budget versus, like, how does yeah. anything get created anymore? Um, yeah. We really got to find a new topic. I know, I know. <laughs> but, like, my whole thing is, like, it's a miracle when any film gets made. Like, once you understand, like, how many elements are at play, what can go wrong, like, the 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 myriad of things that can go wrong during production, like, it's a miracle any film gets made. So when like something like this comes along, it's just like, oh my God, we got to celebrate this. We got to platform this. We got to tell as many people as possible, you know, like RRR, like I've been telling everybody and their fucking mother about it. Cause I'm just like, so excited to see anything different. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like, when you see something like Mad God, The Innocence, RRR, you're like, oh my God, we could make anything. Why are we devoted to this narrow lane of like Marvel? Like as much as I love Marvel and, and, you know, I love the the mythology of the characters and everything like that. And like, I'm not one of these critics who is like shitting on Marvel all the time, you know, which is boring. It's a boring way to live. Um, (laughs) But once you see the possibilities of what's out there, and I feel like a lot of people had that moment with everything everywhere all at once. They were like, holy shit we have not begun to explore the stories we can tell. And that is just so exciting. That is true. And it is nice. um, Given how, how difficult it can be to feel like there's something that actually is worth going to see. I mean, like, please like see how the, the absolutely like 
miserable slog of the latest Jurassic Park movie still made like a bajillion dollars. Did you see it? Oh God, no. I mean, people I I trust, people I trust have said that it was like D minus. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. And you know, which I think is actually worse than F because sometimes you'd give an F can have something that like, becomes funny later true this just sounded boring and yeah. i don't like looking at chris pratt's stupid face i can't stand that man and like he there are just a few marvel actors that i'm like no nope and he's one of them it's basically him and jeremy renner i'm like i can't look at your fucking faces anymore i know but i and that's why i always send you the jeremy I know. Renner photos because <laughs> that is funny if you need to troll allison yeah. jeremy renner is funny chris pratt is just mean it's just mean yeah we're, we'll be enemies if you sent me chris pratt uh, okay, so on that note, we got to get to some news. Here's your bad news. Okay, so let's talk about white supremacists, shall we? I suppose they are everywhere. And it's always evergreen in the United States. Yeah. White supremacy. So are you watching the January 6th hearing? I am. Okay. I'm like dipping in and out, if you will. Uh, But the New York Times had a really good video investigation, open source video uh, about... They did the hard work of looking through like all of the the footage uh, that's available of the January 6th riot, insurrection, attempted coup, if you will. And they identified the proud, most of the proud boys. They, they do, uh, you know, say in this uh, video that they don't know if they got all the proud boys, probably not. Cause some of them were, you know, trying to disguise themselves, but they did an excellent job of showing that this was not a spontaneous riot, that the proud boys had planned this. Um, and that, you know, um, it, it was planned. It was premeditated, which was a an important thing to show because part of the Proud Boys lawyer's defense is that they said this was spontaneous, which obviously would not be considered as dire <laughs> of an offense. <laughs> it would still be bad and it would still be illegal, but it being a spontaneous thing is uh, a lesser offense than if it had been premeditated and I think this investigation shows that uh, it was premeditated, it was carefully planned, and that this was an attempt by a group of white supremacists. And let's be real, they were supported by representatives and uh, the president. And uh, it was an attempt to coup. Yeah, I mean, and there's, on some level, it's ridiculous that all of this stuff has to go through the process of being packaged and showing, you know, pulled out and, and presented in ways that will ultimately probably not change anybody's mind since we are, you know, there are people who believe that it was okay to have a coup and people who thought it wasn't okay to have a coup. And those are the two types of people in the country right now. Um, And I just don't think that there are many people who, but at the same time, it's still essential for this to happen. The new footage, the new things they pull together have been like occasionally genuinely stunning. Yeah. All things that like, despite the fact that none of it is surprising. Mm hmm. To me, in like the the general sense, like I still find myself feeling shocked because like, oh, you guys just did this like you fully just 
were showing these people around and letting them take photos like the day before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This was premeditated in the sense that like, yeah, they had access uh, because representatives were assisting them. And this was absolutely an inside job, if you will, to use the conspiracy <laughs> theorist's <laughs> favorite term. It was an inside job. Um, but yeah, it, it. I agree with you. There are moments watching some of the footage that you're still like, it takes your breath away. You're like, man, if you guys were a little more organized and you had a little more numbers, this could have been something. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that really got me when I was watching yesterday was talking through like interviewing the chief of st- like Mike Pence's chief of staff and a couple of lawyers and um, describing, I forget who, what was it? Aguilar, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Was saying that, you know, they did a little like reconstruction of like the vice president and Pete and family and staff, like going down the stairs and they had the little dots of like the riot of the insurrectionists. And they're like, yeah, they were 40 feet from the vice president. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean, where I'm like, when, you know, right-wing pundits were making fun of AOC because they were like, did you really think something was going to happen? I'm like, they absolutely would have killed her. Yeah. They absolutely would have. If they could have gotten her, they would have killed her. It's just that they didn't quite have the numbers. And, you know, when when everything was happening, I was sort of waiting to see how the cops would respond because I was like, I don't know how inside the inside job is. Right. And I don't know if the cops are going to fight them. And the second the cops were fighting them, I'm like, they're not going to succeed. If the cops had started (laughs) moving the gates for them and letting them come in, I was like, okay, this is bad. This is bad, bad. Yeah. It wouldn't, it would not have taken very much more for there to be success. And I, feel like anyone who wants to start getting into this, like, well, we have to be thankful for Mike Pence and the rule of law and blah, blah, blah. Like, good for you doing your fucking job. But also, like, think, uh, I think that it ultimately ends up being more that this not, like, it not actually becoming a full-on coup and, like, tons of people dying. Like, I'm more convinced than ever that it was entirely a question of luck. Just sheer freak accident luck that the that the the rioters didn't get any closer than 40 feet from Mike Pence that like at that moment like any decision that he made about like I'm not getting in the car because I need to be able to get but he was like the visuals of me leaving if anyone caught it would be too like too bad right like I just think that it's like these are split second decisions that probably could have gone any other way. And so we just have to be thankful that they went in that direction and also ask a lot of questions about why the fuck it is that anyone who has anything to say that is supportive of this activity is being allowed to function in government. Okay. Or possibly run for election again. Yeah. (laughs) Why? And that's when it's like democracy becomes suicidal where it's like, all right, I know uh, Uh, we love freedom of expression, right? We're fans. However, if you let people into your institutions who say, my position is I want to burn down the institution, guess what's going to (laughs) happen? Yeah. And this shit. (laughs) 
And when you put, and then when you find, when you say, well, you know, we didn't burn it down the last time, but maybe we could try this other way. Let's have some people try and start, like, let's see if we can burn it down at the state level. And then you hire, <laughs> then you get a bunch of people elected to positions yeah. uh, where they swear they will do all of the things that people didn't do last time. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. And in fact, it is quite bad. So uh, keeping with the theme of white supremacy, I also and again, because it's Pride Month, I wanted to talk about what happened in Idaho, which is uh, 31 white supremacists got busted by uh, local police in Idaho. They saw them acting uh, pretty suspicious. Uh, All of a sudden, there were a bunch of white supremacists who came uh, from where? Out of state. And they uh, they rolled up to. Uh, an LGBT event and they were in vans and the cops were like, this seems weird. And they pulled them over and opened the van and yep, they had a bunch of guns, a bunch. Mm -hmm. And so like dot, 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 what do you think they were going to do? And the reason this sort of amazed me is that the cops did anything. (laughs) Right. I was going to say like (laughs) the, You don't exactly have to throw a stone very far to find white supremacists in Idaho. So they still felt the need to truck in because the job just wasn't getting done. Right. And that's how you knew, like, it was bad. Like, when I heard that they, there was footage on Twitter of them being arrested. And I was like, oh, this had to be like, they knew they were about to slaughter people. Yeah, that was a they were they were full on like, let's let's start attacking. And let's um, also remember that we're at the six year, I think, anniversary of the the Pulse. Six years. Yeah. yeah just the, a few days ago. The Pulse massacre. So, you know, related. I, I don't know. But like the the timing of that is a little sus. And yeah, these guys for sure were going to kill people. Mm hmm. Uh, and, you know, and different uh different moment a few days later which is also quite scary a bunch of uh p a bunch of dudes trying to like menacing a drag queen story hour at a library in texas oh yeah so let's talk about this because this is a good segue i want to talk about how the far right is appropriating terms like groomers and pedophiles um to level accusations at drag queens, at uh, the guys in Idaho who got busted were also saying the same thing, that they were going Mm. to this Pride event because it's a haven for groomers and pedophiles. I think part of the reason they're able to appropriate these terms is uh, the left is wildly overusing these terms online. Uh And uh, it's this weird sort of like puritanical backlash almost like that I've noticed. And I've I've texted you a bunch about this, (laughs) Meredith, where I am on TikTok too damn much. And I'm seeing these little babies say shit like, if a 22 year old is dating a 19 year old, they're a pedophile and they're a groomer. And I'm like, y'all, these are dangerous terms to throw around because what happens? This shit, this shit where the right knows these are like trigger terms for the left. And they're like, oh, if we accuse people of being groomers, this is the language now of progressivism. And what's happening now, they're saying that drag queens who do readings at the library for little kids are groomers. Mm hmm. Well, and and there it's clearly extending so far beyond just drag queens. I mean, this is just a full on concerted push to target anyone who is LGBTQ or uh, has any form of marginalized identity that that uh, 
might have not been struggling quite as mightily in the in recent years. Um, they want to they want to terrorize everyone. Yes, you know they want to make it illegal for gay people to have kids. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, well, we're seeing but now the violent stuff is pushing. They're going. They're trying to do the libraries and the drag queens because that is easy. Like the visuals are easy to conjure, and that's the yeah. sort of thing that people can get psyched up about going to mess with at a um you know at a local library but yeah the fact that it's not safe i mean there are children here they're gonna be terrified so the other thing like along with the drag queen thing that the right is seizing on is now like ezra miller who you know was one of the most uh visible um non-binary celebrities recently and was like celebrated because they came out as saying like, you know, uh, please use they, them pronouns. And now they are just like on a full ass rampage. That seems like probably spurred on by undiagnosed mental illness and, and perhaps drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, not to diagnose people, but just based on their behavior and some of the stuff that they were like quoted as saying, I'm like, Oh, this seems like a person who is like fully manic. Um, and now it's like, on the lamb and nobody can find them. And it's just like a very strange, spectacular story. But I'm seeing a lot of comments by right wingers on Twitter who are like, this is what happens. This is what happens when you like, I don't know, start using somebody's pronouns correctly. Like literally they're trying to make that connection where they're like, first they ask you to say they, them, then they try to have sex with 12 year olds. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. This is not what happens when somebody decides what their pronoun, like decides that they want to change their pronouns. This is what happens when you raise a wealthy child actor yes. to believe that they get to do whatever the fuck they want. Yes. And also it's like, I'm sorry, Warner Brothers, what the fuck are you doing? This like deadline article that just came out with the new head of Warner Brothers, who's like, well, after this next Flash movie comes out, we're definitely done with Ezra Miller. And it's like, no, 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 no. The movie does not come out. Like, what are you doing? And it's like, yeah, this person is rampaging because they have the full backing of Warner Brothers Studio <laughs> to rage. And it's like, yeah, like if there's no consequences, of course, someone would go absolutely fucking ham. You know, I mean, and it, if they hadn't been allowed to get away with punching a woman at a bar in Reykjavik Meredith three years ago do you remember forever you ago we were talking about this on the show and I'm like it's not even in their Wikipedia anymore what happened they fucking scrubbed their Wikipedia yeah yeah so of course and like I, yeah there's no consequences they already punched a woman in the face in a bar no consequences so it's like well you add you know maybe mental illness you add drugs and alcohol to that like what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it is. It's a textbook. You know, we can even bring it back to, you know what this reminds me of? Some of the worst, like some of the worst uh, destructive behavior of people like, say, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Like when he would destroy hotel rooms or like. As a raging alcoholic. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, opening a club where River Phoenix died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drinking a case. What is it? A case of wine a day? something crazy like that something it can't be you know what i don't even know i don't want to think about it because i can't it was something wild where i'm like wow he's still alive good on him uh but yeah like raging alcoholic yeah of course um so before we move on to the good news section i forgot you wanted to talk about the journalists who were killed in the amazon right yeah the um 
just uh, now I need to to get there. Uh, Dom Phillips was one. Uh, sorry, I just who, uh, sorry. He was a and and I and then there was a uh, and did like an Amazon oh, Bruno, Bruno Pereira. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were uh, was an expert on the Amazon, and Dom Phillips was a reporter. Uh, they disappeared a couple of weeks ago, and human remains were finally found near in the area where they had been last seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Brazil has obviously been very has not been a safe place for activists, especially. Aunt, Amazon activists or journalists really for quite a while, not since Bolsonaro took over. Um, but things have been getting worse, even as, um, you know, things have, you know, the pandemic has gone on. Uh, and it's just really terrifying that, you know, this is, it's not as if they're the only journalists who, or people doing this work who have to face persecution and violence but um it is like it's a tragedy and given how utterly essential like how how fucked we are going to be if destruction in the amazon continues at the speed that it has been going under bolsonaro as he has encouraged farmers to uh to increase clear cutting to increase beef production and also to um to enact violence against indigenous activists who are trying to protect the forest. Um, this, you know, people that it's like essential work that has massive implications. And it's terrifying that even if you're working for a paper that is like well-resourced and powerful, there's nothing to protect you from someone fucking killing you. Right. And it's like, this is such essential work because if if the Amazon is destroyed, it's not like, oh, shit happens. That's terrible for the locals. It's like, oh, no, we die. We all like if like the if we don't have the Amazon, if we don't have those trees, you know, um, it, it has like massive uh, destructive level for the entire planet because we are so reliant on the Amazon. Yeah. Um, so this is all very like the. You know, in some ways, it's per- it's a little bit more personal because a good friend of mine from home, from my hometown, uh, has been living in Brazil for many years and did reporting from the Amazon about a lot of these conflicts. And I know right. things were got hairy. Yeah. Um. So it hits a little bit harder to now be thankful that to to have had the horrible thought of oh well, thank God he's not doing this work anymore because. Yeah. This is not the time to be that. Um, yeah, there's a reason so, uh, yeah. most journalists quit, guys. <laughs> it's like, it's a really hard fucking job. You make no money. And, and depending on where you do it, uh, people are trying to kill you. <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, not yeah. an awesome job. Not an awesome job to have. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that. I'll link to this um, Washington Post article about it in the recap of the episode. But do check it out. Because yeah, like... I think especially in America, we forget sometimes that like, you know, I, I I have respect for journalists everywhere, but you know, depending on where you are a journalist, it's like, oh yeah, you're you're on the front lines, like literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not making BuzzFeed listicles, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but speaking of BuzzFeed, here's your good news. <laughs> Thank you. 
I just realized that was a really weird transition depending on, because uh, you all can't see what's on my browser. So I was like, speaking of good news, BuzzFeed. And I'm like, BuzzFeed is not the good news. Uh, what happened on BuzzFeed is the good news. And that is Chris Evans finally did the puppy interview. People have been demanding it for fucking years, it feels like. Uh, BuzzFeed does this very famous series. And I didn't know they do this new thing now, which I think is so cool. They do a, a puppy part of the interview and then they bring in senior dogs, yep. which is so cool. And I'm sure it was because they were getting feedback from people where they were like, you know, senior dogs need to be adopted too, not just adorable little puppies. But I thought that was so cool. But anyway... People have been demanding Chris Evans do this forever because you hear Chris Evans, you hear puppies, you want to put those two things together. They finally did it and it was fucking magical. And I knew I was going to get my period because <laughs> I was watching this, Meredith, I thought of you, I was watching this last night right before I fell asleep, fully crying watching this interview because it made me so happy. Ah, uh, yes. When when the one little puppy is sort of hesitant and he's like, are you scared, though, buddy? And I was just how like, about oh. when how about when he's just thanking the senior dogs for trusting him? Yeah, that's yeah. when I started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Just think it's just only just just trying to pet them. Just thanking that one little dude, oh my to, God. you know, for letting him pet his head and give him a little like give him some belly rubs. And I thought, oh, this is the best. And they were trying to ask him questions about Lightyear and he just kept saying, who cares? <laughs> and I was like, I love this man so much. All he wanted to do was cuddle the puppies. He did not want to talk about Lightyear at all. <laughs> but also, let's face it, people who are going to see Lightyear are going to see Lightyear. You can't do, there, nobody does, it's not going to change anyone else's no. mind. No, I, I thought it was so real because he was like, I don't want to talk about this movie. I have puppies in front of me. It's like, yeah, who would want to talk about Lightyear? <laughs> it's so good. I highly recommend people check it out. And like, listen, there was not a lot of good news to choose from this week. So this definitely was up there. <laughs> Yeah, we we explicitly had to think about it. And I was like, well, there was the puppy interview. Yeah, that was pretty good. I'm news. like, listen, Chris Evans with puppies. If we had more of that in the world, this world would be a better place. So uh, definitely counting it as good news. I'm also going to count it as good news that Rubble Wilson got to come out on her own terms, even though the Sydney Morning Herald was trying to fucking out her, which is so shitty to do, especially on Pride Month, especially yeah. in the year. 2022 like, um it is it is 2022 seriously people and like, like the gossip columnist who was trying to out her andrew uh hornery tried to use in his defense the fact that he's a gay man which is like fuck you especially fuck you because you know what outing someone can do and also guess what gay people can out other gay people and it's still wrong when they do it <laughs> Right. It's still like, it's still not nice. It's bad. So, uh, but Rebel did this, like she made a post uh, uh, and posted a selfie of her with her girlfriend. And like, it, she had a really cute caption where she was basically like, I was looking for a Disney prince. And it turns out I should have been looking for a Disney princess or something like that. Very cute. Um, and yeah, she got to come out on her own terms, even though like fucked up that she had to do it at all. But I thought it was very cool that she, um, you know, sort of scooped them in a way to be like, well, fuck you. You're not going to 
um, intimidate me. And yeah, just I thought it was very uh, cool. And also the response to it was encouraging because it seemed like the overwhelming majority of responses were like, fuck you for trying to out someone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, anytime there's an opportunity to like to tell the Australian tabloids shame on you for being monsters, I think a lot of people take it because it's, uh, yeah, it's the, it's like, what do you, how would I put it? It's Rupert Murdoch, like New York Post, but in the way that like a spider in Australia is not <laughs> the same as a spider a mutant, in America. A mutant version of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is it's like if gossip could kill you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if gossip was pure poison uh and instantly killed you. Yeah. Um and then finally you guys, and I'm counting this as good news, we're getting a new Beyonce album, Renaissance. It's coming. We're getting all kinds of good photo shoots with the Queen. She looks amazing. And I count that as good news because we haven't had new music from Beyonce in a while and I'm ready. It has been a long time. And I, as usual, will go through my regular like cycle of, do I really care? I barely listen to pop music anymore. It's just me and a bunch of glittering Scandinavian dance music. (laughs) And that's like, just leave me in my little, like my own private fjord. Sure. And you know, I will be fine. But, uh, who am I kidding? I will listen to it and I will be. Absolutely. Excited. I feel like Beyonce is one of the rare unifying cultural moments where it's like, you got to listen to the new Beyonce album. I have not listened to the new Drake album because Drake can go fuck himself. Speaking of grooming, speaking of actual groomers who we should remember uh, have inappropriate relationships with very young girls. Uh, I will not be listening to the new Drake album. However, I will be listening to the new Beyonce album. Yes. Luckily, we do not have to because other superior people will be giving us music. Yeah, exactly. And also, I hear it's not very good. uh, So fuck Drake. On that (laughs) note, everybody, please follow Meredith on Twitter and all the socials. Meredith L. Clark. Anything else you want to promote? No, not right now. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of Light Treason News. If you're a fan of the show, if you want to support us, keep us going, you can go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button or my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That's where you get to leave all of your recommendations, comments, questions, concerns, all of that stuff. Love hearing from you. Uh, Yeah, thank you to everybody who has left recommendations recently. I see you. I value you. Uh, and Meredith loves you as well, I've heard. Um, and on that note, everybody, um, oh, say hi to Rosie for me. Oh, I will. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>